The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? Well, Lloyd, today we have a wonderful guest coming to us from L.A., Elijah Goldstein, Ph.D., who is a psychologist, and he's the co-founder of the Center for Mindful Living in Los Angeles. He's the author of several books, including Uncovering Happiness, which we're going to talk about today, which I've been reading. And uh, The Now Effect, Mindfulness Meditations for the Anxious Traveler, and co-author of a mindfulness-based stress reduction workbook, workbook uh, forward by John Kabat-Zinn and MS, MBSR Every Day. He also developed the Mindfulness at Work program. The premier e-course basics of mindfulness meditation and co-developed the CALM, that stands for Connecting Adolescents to Learning Mindfulness, with his wife, Stephanie Goldstein, Ph.D. So we're thrilled to have him join us, and I've really been enjoying this book, Uncovering Happiness. You know, when I deal with people in mediation, they are unhappy. Some of them are depressed, they're angry. And, you know, we're talking about this book, even though the subtitle is Overcoming Depression with un, uh, with Mindfulness and Self-Compassion. This really relates to anybody in stress, whether you are clinically depressed or not clinic, clinically depressed. All of us go through times of unhappiness or, you know, just not accepting ourselves the way we should. So I love this book for anybody. So if you feel stressed or if you have times where you just are not mindful, you're not in the present moment, you're worried about the past or worried about the future, I think this book is really helpful. So welcome, Elijah. It should be fun talking to you today. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, why is it that you wrote this book? Well, um, you know, I, I think I came to, uh, a lot of people actually come to um, learn how to create more ease and resiliency in their life through brushing up against the more difficult moments in, in, in their life. And, you know, I know in the work that you do, you deal with a lot of conflict um, in relationships, and, um, and, you know, we all, have, we all have that. And so for me, um, 
you know, I've always been interested in what creates resiliency. Um, I've always, I've also for a long time been interested in how do we kind of take hold of the, the more precious uh, moments of life and be able to savor them, settle into them. I've been fascinated with the human brain for many years now, and so I've kind of delved deeply into uh, neuroscience and finding out basically, like, how do you shore up parts of the brain that um, get really heavily and negatively impacted during high moments of stress or long periods of stress? Uh, And what I found was that certain brains that that have gone through a lot of stress over time have certain uh, look, look a particular way in certain areas are impacted. There's more activity in other areas. And so, <clears throat> basically, I was interested in saying what disciplines, what things in life do we know about that um, can create those, acti- those active shifts in the brain that look like a brain, when, that look like a happy brain, the brains that you see in people that are generally doing well. Mm. And just when you think of antidepressants for a lot of people, um, so antidepressants in our field are, are used for people that are, you know, experience a lot of anxiety, experience depression. Um, it's not just for people who have just been depressed. But what we know now is that that's not the only type of antidepressant that's out there. We have this host of natural antidepressants that makes these uh, neural shifts that creates kind of what I call, you know, a, a kind of a more resilient brain. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we can all do this. It's in, within every single one of us. So I wanted to get the word out there, just my, my knowledge and research and experience and working with thousands of people um, to help them not just kind of reduce the conflictual nature within themselves and their relationships, but also create greater resiliency um, so they can uh, have a more enduring, lasting happiness. Yeah. You know, Elijah, it was when I came upon your book, I got all excited because my mantra for the 2015 year is mindfulness. And um, many years ago, when I was, I hate to tell you how long ago, but when I was 19, I started with uh, Transcendental Meditation. You know, the Beatles were into it, and, you know, I got into Maharishi, and, you know, that has been, for me, an incredible calming and, you know, I was so good for so many years, twice a day, and then I kind of got out of it, and I could see what was happening in my life. And, you know, now I make sure that I get up every morning at 5.30, and the first thing I do is go downstairs in a quiet area, don't bother anybody, and I and I do my 20-minute meditation. And I can honestly say that that helps me with my mindfulness, you know, even though my I get a monkey mind in there, you know, I have to kind of keep letting those crazy thoughts go and come back. But it is extremely helpful to me. That isn't the only part of mindfulness, but it that seems to help me. So I got all excited when I saw your book. So let's talk about what is mindfulness. That's a good question. So you know, what what I've found over the years is that mindfulness is one type of. Uh, kind of resiliency factor. It's a fundamental, really, one, because mindfulness is, uh, just as a noun, just means awareness. Basically, like, if you're, you're creating awareness, a greater awareness, and who, what, what person on this planet doesn't need a little bit more of that? Right. So, yeah, and so, uh, uh, so what we know about mindfulness now, and there's a verb to it, too, so there's the awareness piece, and then, then there's the practice, which is what you're talking about doing, which is intentionally paying attention to something in the present moment um, with a sense of curiosity. So you're engaged. So life is a little bit more engaging and a little bit more novel. 
is more novelty, which one thing we know about novelty is it's correlated with um, happiness, feeling good, feeling well in life. And so mindfulness helps train the brain in order to do this in more of those formal moments like you talk about, but it's more translated into daily life, too, where we start to feel more engaged, we see life as more novel. There's this uh, wonderful philosopher named Abraham Joshua Heschel who said, life is routine, and routine is resistance to wonder. In other words, like our brain is wired towards routine. It's wired towards certain type of programming, certain type of biases that we learn from our family, our culture, our experience. And what happens is we start walking around life uh, with a tunnel vision, and we stop seeing the, the novelty and the good and the wonders that are there, which are ultimately important resiliency elements um, for everyday life and create positive neural change. And so, um, and so mindfulness helps us. And also one thing we know about the brain is it works off two different types of memory. There's implicit memory and explicit memory. And this is very important because implicit memory is the type of memory that you, that you have that you don't have to think about, meaning like you know how to walk, you know how to talk, you know how to you take a spoon and put it to your mouth, you know how to drive your car, you know how to um, read a book. That's all based on implicit memory which means your brain has memorized a certain procedure and it does it automatically. Explicit memory is like um, me saying, uh, you know, can, uh, just, can you remember certain events in your life or can you recite to me the top uh, line of the keyboard um, that's there? And so what we want to do and what we can do is through intentional practice and repetition is we can make this awareness more implicit. We can make the ability to see life with a sense of curiosity and to create more flexible thinking and to be more creative um, to engage life with less conflict, um, more automatic in our life. And this is real and possible. And the neuroscience behind it basically shows that neurons that fire together wire together. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we want to incline our mind towards firing with this greater awareness so that we can wire together a, uh, a, a type of brain that is more aware, uh, more resilient, knows how to engage difficult moments um, in a more adaptive way. You know, that is so important, Elijah, and I love it. But, you know, I'm very concerned about our technology, even though, you know, I love technology. I love the Internet. I love my iPhone. I love all these things. Yeah, who doesn't, right? Right. But there is the dark side that keeps us from being mindful because we are so distracted all the time. It leads for me, you know, this is why I, I'm, I'm this is my mantra for the year is like yep. being mindful because yep. I want to be in that present moment. I want to listen to who's talking to me with a, a, a focus and to be like the observer of my own emotions that I want to make sure that as I'm doing that, I think before I say something that might be hurtful to someone or I think before I say something that is n- not you know, um, congruent with what I really am thinking, you know, for that person. So I think that we're in a, a challenging time because we're learning all of this about the brain, and yet our brain is also being, uh, you know, distracted in so many ways. I mean, am I am I wrong or, you know, is this a concern? Well, we, well sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, we're, you know, the, the, it's not the technology that's bad. It's that we're just um, not really mature enough to, hand, to know how to handle it. Mm. Thing. And so, in other words, the technology can be really wonderful. In fact, there's a lot of apps that are coming out that's trying to, trying to help us to kind of manage our technology better, um, which is kind of funny. You need kind of technology to help you do that. So, 
Um, <laughs> right. But, but you're, you're right. What you practice and repeat is what you get. You know, that whole idea of neurons that fire together, wire together, which was a quote by this Canadian psychologist, Donald Hepp, um, was basically, uh, basically saying, well, you know, you can fire your neurons in this way, which is being, dist- being constantly pulled into your phone all the time, um, which happens, certainly happens to me at times. That, uh, and so as you do that, what you might notice as an experiment is the more that you do that, the more that it happens. Yes. And so there you are, you're kind of training these kind of neural pathways to some degree to kind of slide more in this direction the more that you do it. And so, um, you know, it's up to us. One of the things that I know is that when we, when we do that, with awareness comes responsibility. But I'll say this, oftentimes there isn't awareness there. So it's not really your fault to some degree that you still you keep getting kind of overly distracted and connected to the the phones um, or the whatever that technology right. but with awareness then we have that moment of mindfulness and so here's another part that I talk about uncovering happiness which is very important as a natural antidepressant or natural resiliency factor you're going to get pulled away by your tech this is an example we use technology as an example right okay. it's overwhelming you get overstressed um, you're going to get pulled into this um, for those of us who do you're going to get pulled into it from time to time with your best intentions to try and manage your attention um, you're still going to get pulled into it. So there's this really wonderful um, notion that uh, I, um, or a skill set that's called self-compassion. It's kind of a gooey word a little bit, but the idea is that I'm going to recognize at times in my life that I'm going to have difficult moments. Life's going to get hard sometimes. I'm going to get stressed out. I'm going to get anxious. I'm going to get overwhelmed. There's going to be conflict between me and another person, and it's going to be tough. And in life, there are these moments, and everybody experiences them. So that's the moment of mindfulness, is that recognition. So then the question is, with that recognition, now we have to ask ourselves, what am I really needing right now? What's most important for me to pay attention to right now? So with that awareness, self-compassion is recognizing a difficult moment with this inclination to want to support ourselves, which is the opposite of what happens if we, let's say, get overconnected to our technology and we have this intention to like really kind of manage our attention and not waste too much time on certain apps or whatever it is. And then what we do is we flog ourselves. Oh, what's wrong with me? I'm never going to be able to get a handle on this. Or you know, I just wasted so much time. What an idiot I am. You know, mm-hmm, all this stuff, mm-hmm. which only dampens us and makes us feel worse. It's not what we're needing. If you had a, a, a person that got a, a stab wound, you wouldn't go over there and, like, rub salt in it and kind of rub dirt in it and kick the right. person while they're down. <laughs> right. You know, that person needs to be paid attention to, needs to be, you know, gently looked into, cared about. And that's how healing happens. Mm-hmm. That's how we get back on our feet fastest. And so self-compassion helps us get back on our feet in the fastest way. And that's why that is a very key, what I call kind of natural resiliency factor. It's a skill that anyone can practice. Anyone can turn into their into implicit memory, so it starts happening automatically. I do this with my kids all the time, because I have a couple of young kids uh, around six and four, and sometimes they give me trouble kind of going to bed, and, you know, any parent kind of has this type of experience, or most right. do anyway. Um and so sometimes it's hard. So I have to tell myself, like in that moment, wow, this is a tough moment. You know, in parenting, in life, these are, there's difficult moments. So there's a relationship, there's conflict there. And you can do that in your relationship through mediation, or you can do that um, in a relationship, uh, a spouse, a partner, a friend, a colleague. This is a difficult moment. Wow, in life, in these relationships, it's difficult. I'm not the only one. This is just part of life. There's a common humanity to this experience. And um, what is it that I'm actually needing right now? What's most important for me to pay attention to? Maybe I need to take a break. 
maybe I need to, um, you know, take a few deep breaths. Maybe I need to go kind of, maybe maybe technology is a good thing at that point. Maybe I just need to distract <laughs> myself for a few moments so I can kind of calm down, soothe myself, right. and then come back to this from a more balanced, um, stable place. So yeah, and Elijah, really you know, you yeah, and, and so I think the two go together. You first have to be mindful and aware and kind of be the observer of what you're doing. If you see yourself, you know, when when I see people, sometimes they get mad and they um, and their body takes over. You know, their, their adrenaline goes and then they're totally not mindful. You know, they 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 can't stop themselves because they've they've let their their physiology take over. You right. know, and their anger rules them instead of them ruling their anger. So I think it's so important to to when you're starting to feel that, like, oh, gosh, you know, I, I shouldn't have eaten that, you know. Uh-huh, or, oh, right. I'm, I'm uh, uh, yeah, or, oh, gosh, I'm, you know, I'm mad at my kid because my kid just threw something across the table to his bro- at his brother or something. You know, it's just that, that like you said, it's, it's that pause where either you take a deep breath and let it out and get centered again or whatever you need to do to to stop yourself from the reaction to then be mindful of your response, right? Yeah, be mindful of your response, but also to be mindful of what you're needing to rebound. Right, right. You know, so that's, it's, it's the combination of those two. If we say a bird needs two wings to fly, it needs the mindfulness piece, that awareness piece, and it also needs the kind of kind, caring attention. Yes. Um, you, know, you know, I guess against popular belief, like, you know, whipping ourselves with a stick to get better isn't quite as motivating as someone telling you, like, hey, I see that you're struggling right there. What can I do to support you? Yeah, yeah. That's why for a lot of spiritual people to just say, you know, divine order and just kind of, like, feel the, the you know, the, the, the golden light of, of spirit around them or whatever they need. But that that's, you know, there's certain little things that you can develop as a habit that, that helps you. I know for me, like you were talking about breathing, if I just breathe into my solar plexus and then I just like that, I know I need that at times when things get rough. And if I'm in the middle of everybody else's conflict, not the in middle, but I'm the mediator and everybody's getting to the point where it's starting to escalate, then I have to be the calming present. So I have to do that to myself so then I can respond and get everybody calm again or ring the bell. I have a bell, like a, you know, a. <laughs> an Asian bell that I ring with people start sure, to escalate and then the um, the rule is when the bell rings you can't talk or do anything until you can't hear the sound anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, but yeah I think I think that's sometimes the hardest part is okay is making yourself aware and then recognizing what you need to be that self-compassionate person yeah, and I would say, I would say the more, and, and this is the key point, really. You know, this is all something that we can kind of bring in. We, we can create a, a habit out of, and we can, and, and we know the neuroscience behind that. We can create that neural neural architecture that is a more that that is one based on greater resiliency. When we're not feeling well, we're impacted in the way that you you talk about. When we're angry or overwhelmed or you know this type of stuff, and something kind of negative or aversive happens. The brain takes it in, and it's like Velcro. It's super sticky to the brain, and we, we ruminate about it, and we kind of, you know, um, uh, we kind of you know, grind it around in our mind. And when we're feeling well, 
and we're feeling balanced, it's more like water off a duck's feathers. It's like, you know, it's, it's not really about us so much, it's, and it doesn't impact us in that way. We can build this type of uh, skill set that, that feels more automatic. And some of the ideas that you just mentioned, taking a few deep breaths, that brings oxygen into the body, regulates the blood flow a little bit, that helps us um, break out of the autopilot of the moment, too. Um, sometimes bringing humor into anything. I'm, I doubt you use this in your mediation, but, uh, you know, one of my friends said, try to be in conflict with someone in that moment while standing on one leg. Yeah. And so, you know, basically what that does is that uses another, a really key other um, natural resiliency factor that I talk about in Uncovering Happiness, which is play. You know, how do we bring play into our lives? That also helps um, buoy us in moments. And in, in conflict, <laughs> you know, using kind of humor and play sometimes um, can really kind of cut at it and bring someone back into baseline to some degree, like kind of as a neat little you know, tip or trick. Um, and there's many ways to really reintegrate play into our lives. So as adults, we lose that entirely. Um, a lot of us do anyway. When I ask people, hey, what does play mean to you, adults in particular, like this glazed over look on their face, um, you know, as if that was some foreign term. Right, right. You know, play in our culture is a self, for adults is a self-indulgent type of thing. Who has time to play? We've got to, <laughs> you know, achieve and work and this type of thing. But one thing we, we realize now is that from a neuroscience point of view, play actually can increase um, neural density in the cerebral cortex, which is the part of your brain that's involved with cognitive processing which makes us focus better, which makes us pay attention to what matters better, makes us think more efficiently. And so we need that type of thing in our life. If we want to kind of perform at a higher level, um, play is an essential ingredient uh, to doing that. So let's talk about those five um, natural antidepressants. You said play was one. And, you know, is that when you play or when you add levity, which I do try to add some levity to mediations whenever uh-huh. I can, I do a kind of self-depreciate, you know, uh, deprecating so that I don't do it on them. I'll say something, you know, if I do something, then they'll laugh at me, which is, you know, in a fun way. I try and break the uh, break the ice <laughs> if, if, yep. if possible. But... Um, how does endorphins r- relate to all that? Is is the endorphins bring that kind of uh, uh, liquid to the right places or something? Well, I mean, certainly endorphins kind of is, is, you know they it kind of lightens lightens our body and some of it makes us feel alive. So the idea behind that is like how do you make your body feel alive? You know, in some way. But um, so that's one way, and play can create that because it's an engaged play. The definition of it is engaged flexible. If you look at pictures of people playing, sometimes they're, or even animals, they're kind of jumping at each other, looking to each other's eyes. A mother will hold her baby looking into their eyes or a father, and they're kind of playing in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a non-judgmental aspect to it, uh, So, uh, meaning like no one's kind of criticizing each other while they're playing. That's kind of gone out the window. And right. when, you look at, when you look at people who are angry or in conflict or feel anxious or, or kind of um, feel knocked down in some way, there's a heavy amount of judgment and criticism. So this is a 180-degree shift. So that's one of them. Um, mindfulness is another. Self-compassion is another. And then purpose is another one. So how do you develop a greater sense of purpose in your life, which to me is tied with the idea of compassion, noticing someone else is struggling, not my own. Someone else is with this inclination to want to support them. In some way, like you're in the perfect place to be practicing this yourself um, naturally you know, uh, or intentionally, because you you see you're in you're with two people who are in conflict and mm-hmm. struggling, and so there is that moment of kind of having that with them. 
so who so what are my values and how do I turn those into verbs um, is a question we want to ask ourselves um, how can I get involved with a, a, a cause that's not my own that's somebody else's uh, this is something that also makes us feel more connected which is an essential ingredient in feeling um, a more enduring sense of happiness when we feel disconnected we feel imbalanced when we feel imbalanced we feel unhappy we feel connected we feel balanced and we feel balanced we feel happy and so what we want to do is find ways, and I write about uh, all, extensive, all, all kinds of ways of doing this, of, of, of uh, getting involved in something that's other than us. We know people who give, who if you give them $20 and the instruction is to go give it to somebody else, versus if you give them $20 and it's go give it to yourself, at the end of the day, the people that give their $20 away actually rate higher statistically as happier than the people who spent it on themselves. Mm-hmm. So generosity and giving is a, in, uh, an essential and natural antidepressant as well as compassion. Also, if you look at compassion studies in the neuroscience, they make very key neural shifts in the brain that look like antidepressant effects, anti-anxiety, antidepressant effects, or the same type of effects with people who have chronic stress over time. It's like reversing that. Mm. And, so, uh, and so that's another really key one. The final real key natural, uh, what I, the natural resiliency factor, or natural antidepressant, whatever you want to call it, is, um, is to have a, a, a specific type of mindset in doing all of it, which is to have a learning mindset. In other words, we're in a culture that prizes performance and achievement. And so we're imbalanced in that way where when we don't perform, we fall short, we feel like something's wrong with me. That way we don't really learn. In this mindset, it says obstacles to doing this, getting better and better, getting creating mastery around uncovering happiness, um, is... Uh, obstacles to that are inevitable along the path. When I hit an obstacle and I notice that I've gone off the path, I want to investigate that and learn from that. How did I get pulled off? What was this? Not judge myself for it, but what was this? How can I kind of learn from this? Mm-hmm. Pick, like, in other words, when you fall down, pick something up before you get up type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I learn from that and bring myself back? And in doing that, I grow. I grow. Instead of I'm not fixed, I actually grow because of the obstacles that are there because of the difficulties, because I get pulled off, and I learn how to get better and better at, to me, really what the, the essence of uncovering happiness is. You know, it's it's like you talk a little bit, in the I know, in the book about, you know, just like you can exercise to build strength in your muscles, you can exercise to build your emotional strength, and, and right? Isn't it, that that's some very similar that, and some of the things that we go through sometimes the the greatest challenges really make us um, you know rise to the occasion, right? Yeah, it's like kind of you can call it like uh, sometimes we call it mental floss or um, yeah, a mind gym of some kind. Yeah, uh, and doing these types of things. Yeah, you can certainly strengthen the muscles in your brain. Is another way of looking at it. I mean, look, uh, underneath that, what you're doing is you're actually strengthening certain neural connections, creating and strengthening certain neural connections that your brain uses to make snap judgments and decisions, which mm-hmm. most of the time we're alive, our brain's making decisions for us based on our memories, experience, and mood. And so we're basically um, preparing our brain to make more adaptive and effective decisions for us that's going to allow us to have greater resiliency during all the inevitable conflicts that are there. So oftentimes I say it allows us to be grateful for the good that's there in life, so we're more aware of it, more grateful for it, which is in itself a, a wonderful thing, and and more graceful during the more difficult moments that are there. Mm, what a 
what a perfect way to end. I love that attitude of gratitude and all these things. This is a wonderful book, and thank you so much for for writing it and for all the great work that you're doing in Los Angeles. It's terrific. So it's time to go. So if you would just give your website or, or your blog or whatever, um, it will be time for us to go. Wonderful. So you can find everything you, you need at just ElishaGoldstein.com, E-L-I-S-H-A, G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N.com has you know everything that you need to find out more. Okay, terrific. And also, we want to make sure that you get the name of the book again, Uncovering Happiness, Overcoming Depression with Mindfulness and Self-Compassion by Elijah Goldstein, Ph.D. Thank you, Elijah. Keep in touch. We'll have you back again, okay? So wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. No, 8.30 a.m. for prescriptions for healing conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.